Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight we have a wonderful program. I have two guests with me. Uh, one's getting on the line soon. That's Rabbi Ari Center from the Cuff K. And I have with me Rabbi Moshe Leibovitz, who's been on the show a number of times. And we're going to discuss three uh, topics. We're going to discuss uh, your favorite 7-Eleven. We're going to discuss uh, party planners, which is the main fo- focus of tonight. And then Yitz Hashem will also discuss a little bit about BJs. So go ahead. Shalom Aleichem, Rabbi Leibovitz. Shalom Aleichem. I want to thank Rabbi Wickler for inviting me to speak to everybody here again and answer some of the consumer questions uh, that will come in via email and discuss some of the things that are in people's minds over the last few weeks and months. Do we have Rabbi Center on the line? Rabbi Center, yes, Shalom Aleichem. This is Ari Center. Yes, how are you doing? Baruch Hashem, very well, thank Good you. Good to have you This is the first time you're with me on the show, but, uh, but I believe it's been here, I think, four times now. <laughs> Baruch Hashem. Uh, I think the first thing we would like to talk about is what you're working now with uh, party planners. You want to give us a little idea of what ACO is doing and what you're doing with it and the kind of problems that we're facing and uh, a lot of things that people don't really know much about. Okay, so I, I would like to put a, give a little background before as to what exists and then try to explain what is intended to be able to be the tikkun for the future. For, to, uh, historically based, for, for many, many years there were caterers, and the caterers differentiated between what we would call a drop-off and a, a fully catered affair. But, uh, and before I start... Rabbi Wickler, please, you play the, play the role. If you feel there's something ambiguous about what I'm saying or you have a question, feel free to interject so that I can actually um, express it in a way that everybody will understand. Absolutely. It. But I, Ari, I know you're very long time. You don't, you, you're clear as a bell. <laughs> I don't think there's any it, problem. I'll, I'll, give it, I'll give it my best shot. <laughs> so for the, for the longest period of time, there was this, this differentiation. It was a fully catered affair and a drop-off. So... By explaining it from two opposite extremes, so that it's easy to understand, we will all agree that if, for argument's sake, I called up a restaurant and I said, please drop me off, uh, I know I'm having ten guests in my house, and I want to drop off, I don't want to make dinner, just send me over dinner, so the person, the restaurant, would put together their Chinese dinner, whatever it may be, wrap it up in, with, with, with chasimahs so it will not have a problem of not being sealed, and send it over to me. Under those circumstances, they're sending the food, but not the mashkiach. And that, that, on the one extreme, is what we would call a drop-off. The opposite extreme is you have a full-fledged chasana. So on the two opposite extremes, everybody would agree at a chasana you require a mashkiach. Everybody would agree on the drop-off in my home uh, for 10 people at dinner, drop the food off, and there's no mashkiach, it comes, the responsibility transfers, the restaurant drops it off, the caterer drops it off, and the responsibility of the kashras becomes the homeowner. But Rabbi Center, one of the problems comes up that a lot of times the, the people get the impression that it is a catered affair, Maybe your example in the house is more extreme, but... Right, that's right. I'm going to get to that. You're 100% correct. Rabbi Wickley, you're 100% correct. So I just used, for uh, illustration, that's what we're going right, to get to the ambiguity. That, you've got the polarization, but complete polarization. The polarization, and that there everybody can see. Absolutely. The problem is, as we get closer to the middle, and there becomes much more ambiguity, and I believe there is a certain measure of, uh, of assumptions that are being made which are not necessarily accurate. And let, let me explain. 
let's let's refer to a bris. So there are some 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 caterers that will call a bris a catered affair and have a mashkiach there. On the other hand, some people have the opinion on what, what what's the big deal? I'm ordering a just bagels and a couple of platters and and there are caterers and there are individuals that will consider it a drop off affair and not necessarily require a mashkiach. There we're already seeing a very gray area. And it, that, for the longest period of time, was the gray area, and most Hashkachas went about doing it by putting out cards indicating when it is a catered affair, and you can assume that the Hashkachas is extending to the affair, when it's a drop-off, and the responsibility is the shul, the event, the, the home, the place that the event is being housed. The Baal Simcha, the Baal Simcha, so the Baal Simcha. Now, let me explain to where it gets a lot more, uh, more ambiguous. Where it gets a lot more ambiguous is now we have a party planner. This, the, in the last 10 years, let's say, a party planner came in and said, here, listen, let me explain to you what I'm going to do. I'm going to order the food from this person. I'm going to, I have all these props and these beautiful different um, decor, uh, decorations, so I'll order the chum from one person. I'll order um, different foods from, uh, 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 from all different uh, venues. You know, I'll put the salad together because I'll save you the time. And they, they, they pick and choose from a dozen different places, wrap them all together, and then the party planner, so the caterer, Dash Koch, is saying, hold on a second, all I'm doing is a drop-off. So the caterer is apparently not a, uh, uh, supplying Dash Koch, and the party planner, what am I doing? I'm not preparing any food. I just bought from five different places that have Dash Koch. So the party planner is of the opinion that they don't require Ashkocha. And what happens is the end consumer has no way of knowing whether or not this is a certified affair, because they might walk in in certain places, certain parts of the country. People have the capability of, party planners have the capability of renting um, actual um, uh, Kalem, uh, plates, uh, forks, knives, and you can walk in, and the party plan will arrange a, a, a waiter service. So you can be in a circumstance that you'll walk in and full bar mitzvahs and large uh, dinners with 500 people can be arranged by a party planner. And in fact, at that point in time, there will be no hashkocha that's taking direct responsibility for it. So what, why is it any different than what we had before with the Kiddush? Why can't it okay. be that there's cards and... Uh, signs and you know if I see the napkins from Milmart, I assume Milmart did it. And if I see uh, nothing at all, and I see this pe- party planner and all this uh, other uh, you know interesting things here, then I know it's it's in her hands or his hands, and it's not oh. in the hands of the hashkacha. Okay, and I, and I think I can. First, I want to be very clear: the vast majority of party planners are well-meaning, and many of them are from women, men who really want to do the right thing. My caveat is, is that the party planner's primary focus and thought process is to be able to make the consumer, in that circumstance, the host, happy. And at that point in time, there are certain things that occur, and not maliciously, but could just occur simply because they're very busy, and they're not focusing on kashrus. Uh, a party planner, for argument's sake, would go ahead and arrange the entire party. But then the host is the one who's going and buying all the liquor. 
and with the issues of whether or not the shul wants to be serving sherry casks or the different liquors that perhaps present a problem of chomachal or lava pesach, there's nobody that's going through the liquor list because in the, uh, in the eyes of the party planner, it's not their responsibility. In the eyes of the, ho- uh, the host, you know, it, 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 nothing malicious, accidentally. Uh, additionally, if there's no mashkiach, there have uh, been numerous times I've come across situations where there's shilas of chazara on Shabbos. You have part, right, uh, the present situation has party planners arranging a Shabbos from the Friday night meals, the kiddush, the lunch, shalosh from A to Z. And under those circumstances, where five years ago, ten years ago, there were mashkichim, the party plan has has alleviated, in at least certain people's minds, which is what my objective is to change that, alleviated the need for mashkich. But in truth. The, the party planner makes a larger requirement for, uh, for, for Ashkacha because they're not buying it from one place. But, very often ultimately... they're buying it from a number of different places, and if the rav of the shul or the, uh, or the venue wants to be assured that it's meeting their standards, then, yes, they're putting it into the hands of the party planner, and they have to be sure that they're comfortable with that. So the, the main and, focus is to get... Is to get uh, uh, on the party plans? Is that your focus? Okay. I'll explain to you what my focus is, and I will use my own shul as an example. Wesley Hills. Uh, I have a shul in Wesley Hills, and the reality is is that, you know what, if a person is going to buy a potato kugel and chant from a local caterer, so then to require a mashkiach from the local caterer to come and certify and be there for the whole Shabbos every time I want a Kiddush, I don't necessarily believe is reality. On the other hand, I believe there has to be this notification and this, uh, this understanding that the, the Rabbanim of the Shul, myself included, have to take a sense of responsibility and realize that if it is a drop-off, if that's what's occurring, then the Hashkocha is not responsible because it can't. On the other hand, the, the responsibility, the custody of the kashrus, the chain of custody, we'll call it, is being transferred over to the rough and to the local shul. And if there's that knowledge, so yes, sometimes a party planner, I believe, should. Some party planners, which are really just a form of caterers, they definitely do, should have ashkocha. Are there circumstances where there might be a party that is really a drop-off? For all intents and purposes, the answer, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Wickler, is... It depends on what it is. If, if the party planner has become a caterer, then it requires Ashkocha. If the party planner is just a party planner and there really is a drop-off and the cashier's concerns are mitigated, then perhaps they can function without a mashkiach. You, know, you, you have party planners that are putting out plates, and they put the food in the plates. Are they towed with the plates? Some people don't because it's business, etc. They have a hector, and some of them are not even aware of it. They're just buying food and they're putting it on plates and not even realizing you have to, you have to table. So Correct. A lot of them get it from Gamachs also. You know. Gamachs. Well, that's another problem, that a lot of them get special equipment from uh, rental places that, that uh, are being used by the various people and not necessarily with a quality hashkocha on it. Okay, agreed. Additionally, there are many. There are, and as I've expressed, you expressed the issue of Tfilas Kalem. I've expressed the issue relevant to Chazara. There are times that there are significant issues with Bidika Tlan that may come about. And for a Rav Shul to have the assurance 
that the kashrus is meeting his standards. And I think that's important. I think the important knowledge is, in the end, we as Rabbanim are responsible for what comes out of our shul. I, it's, although you, Rabbi Wickler, said that perhaps it's the Balabas, in the end, I believe if you visited my shul and you came in and there was an affair, and you would say, am I going to eat there? You're going to say, well, it's Rabbi sent the shul. I assume he's taking responsibility. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, and I believe I am responsible. With that sense of knowledge, I have to realize that I have to put in place there are, the end, I have to give credit to certain communities. There are communities that if the shul's kitchen is open, there's a shul mashkiach there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, a, a caterer, a, a party planner, you want to enter into our hall, we're taking that sense of responsibility. I w- uh, objectively, I would love to reach that point. So I what, take that. What is the focus for, uh, for ACO? I mean, uh, there's an ACO committee working on this, and you're involved with that. So, so I, I, the, the focus of the ACO committee is what is the best, first, how do we notify the consumer? Because and unless the consumer is, is focusing and understands the necessity to, for a mashkiach or necessity for ashkocha, it is a cost. It's a, to be able to have a mashkiach on site incurs a cost. Uh, unless a person understands the value of why it's there, person would say, okay, you know, I'd rather avoid it. So I think the first thing is there's a measure of education. The measure of education as to, the, to why a party planner or an event arranged by a party planner should have a mashkiach. Secondly is, is the focus is to be able to uh, to to make the rabbis, myself included, aware of the risks and the pratfalls that exist with a uncertified Event as to oh, what do you mean? It's all from people. It's a from. Uh, it's a from party planner. It's a from caterer. What's the downside? Well, if a person analyzes and realizes the risk factors, perhaps the rabbanim and the shul themselves will take a more aggressive approach in terms of certifying and monitoring of the parties that are going on within their uh, under their purview. Rabbi Center, we're going to ask uh, anyone who would like to call in and discuss this topic. We're going to not take general questions, but if anybody wants to call in, you can reach us at 718-683-5858. Kashas on the air. I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, and my guests tonight are Rabbi Ari Center from the Kuf K and Rabbi Moshe Leibovitz from the Kuf K. So anybody who'd like to call now, it's a good time, 718-683-5858. If you'd like to text us, you can do that at 347-927-8398. Again, 347-927-8398. We're going to stick only to the question right now. A party plan is Kedushim in the, in the shul, uh, the responsibility of the community, of the rabbis, of the, of the Bali Simcha, and this whole issue will be just brought up right now. So Rabbi Santa, how far have we gone on this uh, topic in Akka? What, is, what has taken place? Okay, there have been meetings of a number of rabbinim representing different cities and different states. And and what's fascinating is, based on my experience, the different different cities that I've spoken to, there's really different approaches. And the the intent is to try to come to, first, a universal agreement as to the risks that are involved. And then, what is the approach in terms of notifying the public, because in the end, I believe the kosher consumer is 
is an educated consumer and when educated of the, the, the necessity, will we'll request it. Let's um, take a few calls. By Santa, we'll, we're going to get back. We've got a lot to do tonight. Well, you have okay. a couple of callers already. Let's try to take them now, okay? You're on Kashmir on the air with Rabbi Wickler, Rabbi Center, and Rabbi Leibovitz. Go ahead, please. You're on the air. Is Rabbi kosher and Esther is what's What? No, no, no. We, we, right now, we're not taking any questions other on the to- just on the topic. Thank you very much. We'll call, we'll call back later. Go ahead. You're on Kashmir on the air. Go ahead. Hello. Yes, go ahead. Yes, I would like to know about broccoli and cauliflower. <laughs> what I said. Are you? No, but not are right you? now. No, we can't right now. We want, we were sticking to a topic. We have two guests, and I'm sorry we have to speak stick to the topic. We're discussing party planners, kedushim and shuls, responsibility of the uh, bali simcha of the shul, of the caterer, of the party planner, and the problems of all. Thank you very much. We'll you call back a little later if you can. Okay. Thank okay. You. Thank. Okay, so I see that they really didn't, they didn't catch that one. Uh, that's uh, that, that usually uh, usually I'm not, uh, amenable, but I tonight I think we should stick to the topic. One one of the ideas I was thinking perhaps is that a lot of the kiddush that happen. I know many shuls in our area, for example, every week they have a kiddush, and it's not necessarily a bar mitzvah. It's just a kiddush to have more of a camaraderie, and people can talk to each other during the kiddushim. If most of the kiddushim are taking place where not bali simcha, then just like it costs one hundred and fifty dollars, let's say, to sponsor a kiddush, if the rav would require the cost to go up by fifty dollars to pay for mashkiach, a lot of that would really take away from the issues of you know kashrus concerns. Absolutely, it, it, would, it would be wonderful if every you know in Lakewood uh, the KCL requires every. Uh, affair that you order has to have a mashkiach, and he's paid a little more than the fifty dollars. But it's but it's a very serious uh, mashkiach there, a person who's qualified and knows halacha, and it's a beautiful thing, no question about and it. And that can make inroads much quicker than perhaps than waiting to the bali simcha and, and suggesting that they pay a certain fee if most of the kedushim on a regular basis are happening anyway. I think I think what happens, Rabbi Center, is that a lot of people uh, in shuls that with a they have the 25 to 50 mispalim, and they just put out a little a little kugel, and then they, they feel happy. But uh, but a lot of times their uh, their shuls have a kiddush, and it's 150 people or 200 people, and there's plenty of different things being served, and definitely there needs a, a mashgiach to be able to take care of it properly. Right? I, I, I agree. I, I believe with the idea that Rabbi Leibowitz, uh, okay. using my, my own shul as a microcosm, what I've tried to do is, within my shul, create what is called a standardized kiddush, which is I work out with a caterer and say, this is what I'm expecting as a standard kiddush. Under those standard kiddush, I know exactly what my exposure is, what my risks are, and then there is a person who arranges and is masadar within the shul who's masadar the kiddush. Under that circumstances... He, I know what I'm receiving. I've gone through the, the menu with the, with, with the caterer. It's a chant, it's a potato kugel, it's a couple of salads. It, 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 it's a controlled environment. So then the hashkachal cost is very minimal in that circumstance. When a person comes in with a party planner with intention of totally changing, so under those circumstances, every new item has to be checked in by the, by the person in charge of the hall, the hashkachal cost goes up. Now, yeah. one of the things that we, we, we've tried to incorporate in the shul is, as opposed to sending a person, this is your bill for Ashkocha, which under those circumstances, the knee-jerk reaction is, why do I need it, is we've, we've built it into the rental of the hall. Uh-huh. The That's a great idea. Says, That's very good. Yeah. And you, then you solve the problem. There's no complaining. So then, 
And then and, and right. people because can... Then it, becomes my, it is my responsibility, and be it that it's my responsibility, in the end, the mashkiach... I, 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 I don't want to negotiate the kashras. I can negotiate what the cost of rent of the hall is. I can't negotiate the kashras. A hundred percent. We got a couple of calls. Let's take them now, Rabbi Santa. Go ahead. You're on kashras on the air. Me? Yes, go ahead, Hello? please. Okay, I have a question. Let's say here in Brooklyn, use the best caterer with the best mustiach, and you take a hall in the shul. I've seen it. And then there's someone else. They all get the dishes, and the glasses all come from the same person. So how is there any control in what the dishes went through? So you're asking about a, a rental. You're talking about a, par- you talk about a party rental where you rent the dishes. Uh, no, you will cater a shul. Let's say you go to any of the caterers here in town. Their caterers, with the best mashiach, to all the supermarkets here, have takeout. They cater a fear. It's the best mashiach. And you take up the smashers, you use the hall. They send you dishes. It's not their dishes. They won't get the dishes from one place. No? I don't, I don't know, think it's I don't know what you mean by dishes. Most of the kiddishes are on throwaway things and easy things to handle. If it's a fancy dishes, they either the caterer owns it or it's coming for a party rental. And that we're going to take up right now. So let's discuss about the party rental where you're renting dishes and stuff like that. Rabbi Sente, would you want to comment? Okay. The, that is one of the more... The cupcake does not personally certify any one of those party rentals. That is a very, very... It puts one in a very... very difficult position because as the caller presented the hashkocha that's certifying that party rental has to determine which hashkocha it's going to allow to use its kalim. Right. Uh, the, the, the Rava Machshir and the Paiskim for the, the, whichever hashkocha is in charge of it. Obviously a person can't rent kalim from a uncertified um, rental agency so they're, certain, they're, they're renting it from something that has hashkocha. How that hashkocha determines who it should go to, what are the circumstances, how it's delivered, that's, it's, I don't have personal knowledge from it. We're not really involved in that directly. Well, let but, me give you a little yeah, idea what's going on. Let me give you a little idea. There's, there, are, there are rental places, and they, uh, they, they restrict very seriously who they rent it to. Now, Kalim, like dishes and silverware, is considered to be cliché-y, and it's an Eina Ben Yomo. So that takes care of part of the problem. In one particular case, I know that a, a cashless agency has their own kalim at the, uh, at, at the rental, and they have to rent those kalim. They made them buy kalim, a special type for them, and they use only those. But there are people who are sharing. Yes, it's true. But the, the, the responsibility is that the party, plan, uh, the party, the party rental store is, is limiting it to a very, very uh, exclusive clientele. And very often there's a, a hashkocha on that party rental. And that's really very, very important. Uh, we have about uh, three uh, more calls, so let's go take the next caller. You're on Kashas on the air. Go ahead, please. Hello? Yes, you're on the air. You're here with Rabbi Center and Rabbi Leibovitz right now. Go ahead, please. Hi, this might be an ignorant question, but on one of these, like, conditions that the shuls have every week where it's dropped off an hour before Shabbos and no, no going in contact with the room, would that be an issue of not having a mashkia? Rabbi Center. Okay. There, there are a number of questions. I have to frame your question. If your question is, is there a Shiloh of Vosish and Salmonai, which means if a guy drops, if a non Jew drops it off and it's not sealed, then uh, the, 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 your Rav, the Rav of the Shul, should ask whether or not there is a problem of Vosish and Salmonai. 
separate from that, separate from the fact that whether there are or not because it's very hard to really seal a chompot or very hard to seal a, a, a warmer, but let's assume that it is sealed and you solve that problem. The question that, you're, that we're expressing is depending on what's being served by that, by that kiddush. If, yes, let's assume everything's dropped off and they arrange waiters afterwards. If that kiddush is something that potentially has chazar issues and there are, there's other issues relevant to the event, it would depend on what is served. Can, can I foresee a position that there could be, that a limited kiddush could be dropped off without a mashkiach? Yes. But depending, the more food, the more intricate it is, the more prep that's involved, the more necessity that there would be for a mashkiach. I think you hit the nail on the head. With, it's got to do with people understanding what's involved, both the rabbis and the people of uh, the Bali Simchat. Beautiful. Let me have another question here, and then we're going to answer on some of the uh, texts. Go ahead. Yiran Kash was on the air. Go ahead, please. Okay, I understand how a shul, the role of the shul is responsible for Ashkafa. I made a kiddush in my house, and they insisted I needed a mashkiach there in the house. In my own house, I did it to save some money, but I had to pay the mashkiach anyway. Now, anybody who's going to come to my house is, is going to be reliant on my own ashkacha, right? They wouldn't eat in my house if they weren't eating my house. So why did I need that mashkiach? Okay, when you say they required, who is they? Uh, this is a lot of the five towns. It, so, <laughs> yeah, but the point is the caterer... No, 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 you, okay, you I just meant... Is you it could buy anything in the store. You could buy everything well, I, in the store and take it home. What, what? So this, let, let, okay, let, I, I can explain. I, I can explain to you why the hashkocha would require it. Let me explain. The, um, assuming in your in your circumstance, the hashkocha provided you with warming trays, warming boxes, and the hashkocha yeah. uh, 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 um, provided you with plates and chafing dishes and so on and so forth. For a hashkocha, in order not, in order, I, I, I've never met you, and from, uh, just as a good cautious policy, if I'm dropping off Kalim that I want to bring back into my uh, commissary, so I want to bring back my chompot, I want to bring back my warmer, I want to bring back all those plates, I need to be able to not be in a position to say, well, in that person's house I'm going to be willing to drop these items off and not worry about it, but this person I'm going to have to kasha when it comes back. So the answer is there's two reasons why you might need a mashkiach. A is just to certify the affair. B is, is all the equipment that is being used. So in your circumstance, if your circumstance, everything was drop off, everything was sealed as aluminum tins, then we can debate the necessity for a mashkiach in your own home. But in the event that what they had dropped off to you was many pieces of equipment that had to be returned back to the commissary, the ashkochas require a, a, a mashkiach in order to protect and assure the cashers of the equipment that they dropped off. Very good. Okay? Thank you for calling. Okay, we have another caller. Go ahead. You're on cash on the air. You're on the air if you want if you hear us. Okay, I don't think he hears us. Hello, you on the, hello, yes. Hello? Yes. You're on the air. I have a question. Go ahead. Um, with these party planners that come to a house, that's a simcha. How does how do you trust these, these girls where they get their food from and their chafing dishes? How do you? There's no hashgacha. Right. There's no rav that's in their house. 
That's the op That's what we're talking about. You call, they, that's part exactly of the problem. <laughs> you're describing it exactly. We we don't know where they're getting anything from, right? And I, I even though Rabbi Center is a, a a very loving Jew, and he said that most of these people are have good intentions, but intentions don't really make it in Kashrus. A lot a lot of the party planners are not really familiar with some of the technical halachas, especially you're talking about a woman she's doing, and there's a tremendous drive. To get, I, I mean, I had, I used a party planner, Rabbi Center. I used a party planner once, and I had to fight with her about everything she bought, because she said, "But, but this is nicer over here." I said, "But I don't want that," and she's very from. <laughs> and a lot, a lot of times, they'll take ingredients and products into the house that they rely on certain ashkachas, and right. let's say the right. people who are attending the fair won't rely right. on. So there's Absolutely. no way really to control. Absolutely. So how do you stop it? You have to be in charge of it from the beginning. If you want them to buy things, you tell them where to buy. If you want a, a, a program that you, that you have with the dishes and stuff like that coming yes, in, you get Ashkocha. But you have to have a, a Meshkiach in there with you. Don't you have to have a Meshkiach at all these... How do you, how do you, okay. how do you uh, take, okay, I, tell I these girls to have a That they have to bring Meshkiach in well, to okay, follow let me, it. Let's see Rabbi Robert. Center. Let's Rabbi Wickler, Rabbi Wickler. Can you lower the background, please? By you. I, I was very. Rabbi Wickler was was accurate in that. I was being very politically correct. I was <laughs> trying uh, the way I expressed that I do believe the party planners are well intentioned, but as the caller pointed out, the the reality is, if I had a party planner at, at one of my events, the I would not. Unless the party planner had Ashkocha, I would not allow any hot items to go into any of their equipment. Uh -huh. Because, simply speaking, their equipment has been to many different, different, different events, and at that point in time, they're, they're self-certified for the hot equipment. But if the party planner is only providing cold equipment or gla cold glass equipment, and they're beautifying the putting pedestals and so on and so forth, that I would have less of an issue. But one of the other issues, as the caller pointed out very well, is if they're actually providing the chafing dishes, they're providing all these different items, then for all intents and purposes, those items are under their hashkocha. And if a person chooses to rely on that individual, that's their prerogative, would it be what I would say is good, cautious policy that a rub, a shul should do? I would not advocate for that. Rabbi Center, I, we have a question that came in here. I want to, I want to ask it to you. Um, this is a very common problem, and it really is. Uh, it, there's really a multiplicity here. Uh, how does it work by a kiddush regarding unplugging crockpots when the simcha is over on Shabbos? You know, they have non-Jewish workers, and the, the non-Jewish workers will pull out all the equipment on Shabbos, carry this here, take, take, take the that, garbage. take the garbage out, take halavayit's only the, the non-Jewish workers, <laughs> and they do they do things that you know that. I think, personally, I think it's repulsive for Shabbos to see, to see that the equipment has been moved out, out to some place, and you know that it was done on Shabbos. What is your feeling about it? What do you feel the halacha is? It, it, should we be preventing these people from doing this? Should we make a statement in our shuls that, you know, we have rules, you can't move anything? Uh, or should we say, let them do it? Because they're doing it on their own. Okay, um... Okay, wow. You, 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 you thought you, it was going to be on, easy here. <laughs> no, you stepped on a major halakha uh, uh, shayla. And uh, unfortunately, there was a circumstance that I was just recently involved in in which there was a party planner that had hachana being done from, uh, from Shabbos to Mate Shabbos. And it was 
we'll call it an honest mistake, but as you're pointing out, this indistinct issue is there's so many problems with Tiltul Muksa, with with Chazor, with Hachon, with Adait Dinafshe Halachli is not so simple when you know and there's the person is an employee and the person knows that it really isn't a daita de Really expected. Which, for that purpose, you're doing it for the purposes of the caterer. Uh, um, to answer the question, the achana for after Shabbos is clearly, well, let's do the following. Where it's achana and it's preparing for after Shabbos, that's clearly, that's nechol nadin of amir la'akum. Are there paiskim that are mekel? Uh, there may be paiskim that are mekel on that shayla. But I think the normative accepted halach is that we do not do hachana. We do not make an amir lachum specifically for hachana. Now, if there's a daita nafshe because the person doesn't want to come back, that is something that each rav will have to paskin. And, uh, and I gave the example of chazara. There is significant di- different shitas hapaiskim as to a chazara or don ayide akman adaviyavish. That's something, though, the need to have a mashkiach or hashkocha is something that will allow the rub of the shul to make that, uh, to make that psaq. Other paiskim is that a machlaikas had to deal with things that may have a suffix of sherry casks? Yes. But if you use a national hashkocha, you'll, you'll be able to ask and you'll know that somebody's enforcing a specific standard. That's why I'm trying to be as politically nice and assume that all the, uh, the party planners are well-meaning, but they're well-meaning, but at the same time, they might not necessarily be establishing what the, the shuls want. And I would agree to you that, to me, having, even if I intellectually hold that it may be more to having a guy running around doing uh, malacha, in an iPhone which you think is a daitanafshi, might not necessarily be what the Rav would want. Very good. Our policy is not to allow hachana. The Kafkei's personal policy is not to allow hachana. I, I want to let uh, our readers know that uh, Rabbi uh, Leibovitz has written a piece on this whole topic. Uh, he's a prolific writer, and uh, halakhically speaking, uh, he's a prolific writer, and, and uh, you know, we can get his works every single week. If you want to, we're going to tell you now how to get it. I, but I want to specifically point out to you that he has a whole article I think 10 pages on this. About 20 pages written, I would say, seven years ago. Just the general questions that come up on a Kashrus catered affair, not necessarily geared towards party planners. Obviously, that will be added to it. But it just gives the consumer a general idea of what the issues that could come up on a regular basis. At least this way, it has some flavor of what we're trying to implement now, especially with the party planners. If a consumer wants to see it, then obviously it's free download. You can just go to the halacha.com. T h e h a l a c h a dot com. You click on the archives, and that's on volume four. It's in two parts, a two-part series, and you can download it as a PDF and uh, you read What's it, it as you please. The, it's called Halachically Speaking. Is the website? No, no. The, the article the, is called Kashas at a Shabbos Affair. So again, I go to the halacha. The halacha dot com. Okay. Um, and, and then, then you I, can see other articles in the volume archives. Volume 4. Volume 4. And then you'll be able It'll to find be, that. Yeah, you scroll down, you'll see Kashas at a Shabbos Affair. I'm going to take a minute off to speak about our... Our uh, 
our regular sponsor, which is Glotmart, but right afterwards, we're going to go on to 7-Eleven, which is something that, in this show, that we seem to be talking about every single week. Uh, Glotmart conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M. When you think of Glotmart, think of price, service, convenience, and quality. Whether you shop for a few items or for a full wagon load, you can save plenty of money by shopping at Glotmart. And at Glotmart, you can save time by using their valet parking service. Just pull into Glotmart from the East 12th Street entrance. They'll park the car for you and have it ready to load up with all those special items you purchased in the store. And at Glotmart, the quality of meats is A1. With kosher certification from both the Star K and the Vatakashas of Flappish, with base Yosef meats and with expert Nikor at Glotmart, you're getting quality kashras. Glotmart is at 1205 Avenue M, meaning your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove in Glotmart, tell them you heard about Glotmart on Kashras on the Air over J Root Radio. And some of these specials right now between today and tomorrow, uh, because they switch after tomorrow, you can get uh, family pack salmon fillets, $6.99 a pound. Reisman's mini croissants, th- uh, 10 ounce, two for $5. You can get uh, Mickey rib and stir fry sauce, 20 ounce, two for $5. Ken and biscuits, two for a dollar. Uh, the, uh, the baby carrots are 99 cents. And uh, we have here uh, corned beef deckle at $7.99 a pound. And minute steak roast, eleven ninety nine a pound. Those are just some samples at Glotmart. And now we're going to return to our show. We have two our guests tonight. Are we have a caller? Okay, one second. We uh, our guests tonight are Rabbi Ari Center from the Cup K and Rabbi Moshe Leibovitz from the Cup K. Okay, so you want to take another caller? Okay, but if it's only on the topic, go ahead. You're on the air. Go ahead. You're unconscious on the air. Yes, I also bring up one point. Some stores and some caterers, when they pick up food from different places, the stores are not marked on the package. I mean, they'll pick up a chant or kugel, and instead of, they use regular tape. Instead of using tape that says the so-and-so store, it doesn't say nothing on it. Is that a problem? That's a very good point. That is very important. In other words, in other words I'm the, uh, the host. It's a very important that I know uh, if, if I'm using a party plan that has no ashkocha, then at least you know what they're, putting, what they're serving. And that's a very, very good point. That I mean, I've seen where a guy made a kiddush in a shul. He called up the store, a certain store, and the, he couldn't come, so he called the car service. And he told the guy, uh, put the food in the car service. And when mm. the car service came to the shul, mm. he took it out, you know, paid the car service, whatever money it is. But on the packaging... It, there's no, there's, there's uh, no markings that came from such and such store. There's no tape with a uh, shkach on it? There was or? a tape on it, but it's just a uh, clear tape, you know, a white tape. With oh, no clear t- t- <laughs> clear tape anybody no, could put on. No, no, yeah. you have to have a sim- I know, but the store that's said it's not, one store said it's not an issue. This has nothing to do with Shabbos. It has to do with uh, Hilcha Simonim. On I, I know I, that. I always love to tell the story. And then now, what, what happened when they came to the shul? I don't know who, who put it in the oven or Shabbos. I know it's also an issue. I, okay. I, I Do you have a checklist, Rabbi Leibowitz, on that website yeah. of yours? Yes, there's, there's uh, volumes 4 through 11 is available on the website. Um, volume 1 to 3 is currently in Sfarim, so they're not available at this moment. Four is coming but out. you'll find also a, a very extensive article on food in the hands of a non-Jew in volume 5. I dealt with that extensively about deliveries, pizza deliveries. You'll, many times you see bread in the front of the supermarkets and all these different co- concepts and questions that come up are all detailed in that article uh, entitled "Food in the Hands of a Non-Jew." Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Go ahead. We're gonna t- we're gonna start uh, now on 7-Eleven. Uh, what? What? 
Another call? Okay, we'll take another call. I really want to get started with 7-Eleven. We have no time. Okay. Here, hello, yes. Okay. You're on the hello. air. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I would like to ask about the Slurpee, 7-Eleven. I just turned okay, on the radio. Well, you can just, they can just relax. We're going, to be, we're going to be talking about it now. Thank you very much for calling. Okay, right. I, I, but I want to just introduce this topic because I spend a lot of time with Rabbi Leibowitz on it. And Rabbi Senta, you can help us out. We, what, what happened was, um, you know, we were talking, he and I were talking quite a bit about it, the need for being, uh, having Hashkocha on the 7-Elevens in Brooklyn, or any place for that matter. I know that it exists in Chicago. I know it exists in, uh, in, in Lakewood, and they have it also in, uh, in, in Baltimore. But in Brooklyn, in the... You know, in the center of Yiddishkeit, or well, maybe it's not the center anymore, but one of the centers <laughs> of Yiddishkeit, we don't have any Ashkocha. So Rabbi Leibowitz worked on this extensively. And I also give whatever support I could give. And we found, we found two places that were willing to take the Ashkocha. And it worked for a little while and then fizzled out. I'd like to hear what happened and what's the problem and what can we do? So that's an excellent question, and, and me being the one that answers many of the consumer questions, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten that question on a regular basis. Not as much as I get here. <laughs> okay, you want me out on that one, Rebecca. Um, but basically, you know, take it back a year ago, you know, we, we contacted 7-Eleven in Brooklyn, especially it's near Torah College, it's near Yeshiva Flatbush, and there's a lot of Jewish people on Avenue J, and we felt that it would be a Te'el Sarabim to be able to offer them Ashkocha on something that they're not necessarily used to having, but something which is really should require Ashkocha, because 7-Eleven does have about five, six non-kosher flavors. And you have no way of really knowing if the machines were washed out well enough. And it gives somebody an added assurance knowing that there's Ashkocha on there, rabbis going into the facility on a regular basis, making sure that only kosher flavors are there. And not, um, just, and not just, you do the fountains and you did all We did the fountain soda, we did also coffees? the iced coffees. And the hot coffees we did not do, we stayed away from that due to the possibility of having them washing out and different issues of um, kalim. Um, but we did the 7-Eleven Slurpees, we did the fountain soda, we even did the shots, we did the iced coffee, and then over time, the franchisee took over. It used to be owned by corporate 7-Eleven, that store, and they felt the necessity. There was a from lady working there, um, and she sort of brought us in and said there's a very great need for it, and she was also bringing in other items as well. And then over time, people sort of got used to the fact that they didn't need it, and they're not used to it. The franchisee said, why do we need it? And sort of when it got taken over by the franchisee about six months ago, they called us up and said, you know, people are buying it anyways. He doesn't really see a need for the Hashkacha. Avenue M didn't have an Hashkacha, and many of the 7-Elevens in Brooklyn did not have, so he wanted to follow that lead. Um, and that's really what happened. It wasn't a cautious violation of any sort. It was just the nature of uh, business that they felt that they didn't want to pay for the rabbi to be there. Now, that you were in those stores, Rabbi Leibowitz. Uh, was the water filtered? Yes, the 7-Eleven filter um, would pass for anyone that's in Brooklyn as far as the copepods. Would you so, say that all of 7-Elevens do they, use They do, do have the same protocols um, in different stores. Obviously, depending on where you live, some um, don't require filters right. as far as halacha and some do. But as far as the Brooklyn stores, um, those all had the same. And what kinds of problems could present itself, aside so, from the fact of t- just taking in plain, non-kosher flavors. What so, are the issues? So ma- many times define? when you're dealing with Slurpees, when we did our research in the 7-Eleven stores, is that you had the five, six non-kosher flavors that they can t- change at any time. Because and the fact, dairy ones also? Dairy ones also. They have very mi- minimal amount of dairy at this right. point, but they have this non-kosher flavors, and 
Some stores are more careful than cleaning out the machines than others because some of them claim that we want the customer to taste a little bit of a mixed flavor. They like, <laughs> I don't think Beautiful. you'll ever go into a 7-Eleven and they'll only take one flavor. Everyone's sitting there taking the Coke and the rainbow flavor and the watermelon and the you know, Mountain Dew flavor. Everyone wants to mix it. We don't say rainbow over here. <laughs> right. So everyone's interested in the different f- mix of flavors. And 7-Eleven said maybe if we put a non-kosher flavor in there, um, then people will like it and it'll be a little grape and it'll make sense. So many people have called up and said, Do we, could we buy by 7-Eleven? So the truth is if there are representatives of Coke and Pepsi walking around the 7-Elevens making sure that they're getting the real thing. And but not I, I was told by one of the stores that was under Yohashkocha, when it was under Yohashkocha, the guy down in Y, he told me that there's a, a backup that, that picks up when, the, when the, the flavor gives out. They have to automatically have a backup coming from a different flavor. So when we did that, we only allowed the kosher flavors in the stores. It wasn't, I understand, yeah, but, so the, but the problem is when another person goes to another store and he doesn't have that certification. Yeah, that could be another issue as well. And, you know, and then many places can maintain that if you want to buy this Slurpee at a 7-Eleven, uh, just let the sort of non-kosher flavor drain, drain in the drains, even if you're the fact is that you want to have a Coke flavor, for example. And now you're concerned, maybe there was a grape, for, assuming that it was non-kosher there before, so if you take some of the Coke flavor and wash the drain, the fact is that you're not necessarily going to be getting the first Coke out of the machine when they change the flavors, and B is if you t- take some of the Coke and wash it down the drain, then the flavor that potentially could be left in the machine... It, and assuming that they didn't wash it out well, could be gone, and then there wouldn't be any issues is that with actually halak- buying. Is that luckily correct? That's what okay, some of the so place can that. Can I can I interject for a second? I certainly. Okay. Rabbi um, Center from the uh, Rabbi Ari Center. Go ahead, please. Rabbi Wickler, uh, you know, to me, at times we overthink things and perhaps wind up moving ourselves back 20, 30, 40 years ago. Right. 20, 30, 40, 40 years ago we sat and, based on necessity, created the requirement to be able to, at times, look at labels and try to figure out what things did or did not need Hashkocha. And because of that, since there wasn't the mass, uh, mass available uh, items with Hashkocha, so at times we had to make, uh, or our parents or grandparents, had to make evaluations based on ingredient legends and based on circumstances. Um, for me, I have plenty of balabat and have come to ask me numerous times, and I know I'm stepping over to another discussion, can I use the local um, uh, coffee shop? Can I use the Starbucks here? And can I use, uh, using the same thing, can I go ahead and use the 7-Eleven, the Slurpees? And the, the response is, you know what, it's available right next door, something that does have hashkaha. So whether or not I can find the svarit for you, why bidiavid, even if the kalim were used with kosher and treif by the Starbucks, or if I can come up with a, the question is why? And it was why, why are we looking to take a step 30 years backwards when if it's, as you're pointing out, you're sitting in the middle of Brooklyn. We're not sitting in the book, uh, little Brookline, Massachusetts, and we're not in the middle of uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. We're in, the, in a hub of where... Kashris is so readily available, then the question is, what is what's the imperative to try to figure out a svara that something is mutter 
when I don't need to use a Svarot to tell you why it's what I can have something that's, uh, that the assurance is that it's 100% without any question. And I think that's really the job of the consumer, especially the people in Brooklyn, that they realize the need for it, then they'll request the Ashkacha agencies to be able to certify them. As long Agreed. as the yeshiva boys are going to keep on buying the Slurpees at a 7-Eleven, assuming that it's fine relying on different Svarot, then necessity for the kashas at the store level. We'll say the franchise is looking at it, look, I have a store full of yeshiva guys here, why would I need an Ashkacha? So... It does beg the yeshiva bacher to, you know, ask himself, why am I buying it? Perhaps we should have some sort of hashkacha on here. And then that's really what happened at, in our case by Avenue J, was that they had, had it for months and months, and he, like, people were coming and coming, and he was like, maybe I don't even need the hashkacha altogether. You know, so right. didn't really uh, I, would, I would add that it's not the yeshiva bacher, it's the, the, the top of the yeshiva bacher, it's the rabbis. The, the rabbis. These are the jobs of the rabbis and parents. I don't think yeshiva bacher is just follow like uh, like, a, like sheep under this because you can see a big big uh, beard and big pears going over there and said it's okay no problem and I, I want to ask something about I don't I don't know the franchise about 7-eleven but I I saw in my eyes some restaurant that basically taking the concentrate from the original concentrate and put generic one you know not exactly from the coke and not exactly from uh, uh, you know to save the money and also, I don't know, the payment and the, and the end of the month for the company, it's totally different. And I saw in my eyes that they purchased generic uh, concentration for, for you know, the sloppy, for sodas. sodas, all this stuff. What, what, is the, what is the policy about it? Now, this is at a 7-Eleven, this is a restaurant. Yeah, 7-Eleven, restaurants, you know, just uh, all this stuff, you know, that uh, I can see that so they, they the, change it. If, if the store or the restaurant's under Ashkacha, then obviously it's the job of the Ashkacha agency to make sure that whatever is being taken into the store is under a certification that they uh, accept. If it's a 7-Eleven store, obviously they're banned by certain contractual agreements that they can't buy on the off-brands. It, it might be other franchisees or other uh, chains like 7-Eleven that don't have, so to speak, a Slurpee flavor that they may buy off brands. But again, 7-Eleven is contractually agreed upon to buy certain, um, you know, fountain sodas and certain Slurpees. So that's really another reason, perhaps, why we should have an Ashkacha on these uh, you need to stores. Yes, I'm really responsible for it. We have... Uh, anything else? Um, Ari, you want to add anything? I just no, I'm then let's go on to BJ's. We have five minutes more. I mean, is it call, is that a caller? Okay, I'll take a caller. Go ahead. Hello? You're on the air. Go ahead, please. I, wanted, I work on Avenue J, and I go to the 7-Eleven Avenue J, and there's no hashkacha. They sell. I'm not mocked on Chal of Yisrael, but the, the milk doesn't have a hashkacha. Do you need a hashkacha on that? On milk. <laughs> I, I, do we want to comment? Anybody want to comment? There's, a, there's also very, something very fascinating with, um, you know, 7-Eleven. A lot of people in Brooklyn, yeah, the milk in general, a lot of people are mocking on Chalvi the other question, and they, um, they, they go to a 7-Eleven, uh, assuming that there's Chalvi milk there, and if they don't see the actual person opening up the milk of Chalvi how do you able to rely on the fact that it's Chalvi They can technically switch the Chalv you know, Yisrael product out and put Chal Stam in the Chal Yisrael container. So yeah. obviously if you mock but a Chal Yisrael, it's very questionable whether you're able to rely on the fact that many of the community stores that are under on the Ashkacha are supplying you with Chal Yisrael. Oh. The, the other question as far as milk, there could be other vitamins in milk and other ingredients added into milk and it's definitely reputable um, for a co consumer to look for Ashkacha on, on milk and 
many, if not most, of the milk out there does have an ashkacha, so it's definitely a good idea to make sure that you're looking for one. Let, let answer the lady also about she feels she goes going to go in and buy a, a drink and you a fountain drink and you just t- before you didn't want to certify the hot coffees at uh, 7-Eleven. You want to elaborate on that? Yeah, the hot coffee, because of the fact that 7-Eleven has pizza and other things in the store for sale, um, we never uh, went through the process of how they wash the hot coffee machines and how that's handled because of the fact that we wanted to avoid the issues of the dishwasher, perhaps, or even this three-compartment three sink. And we felt that in order to start the program, let's deal with cold. And if the demand is there, then obviously we would be able to uh, monitor how that's done. But because we just started with the cold program, we never got to that stage of... Uh, and in general, the cashless agencies are recommending staying away from these hot beverages, even regular coffee. In a, uh, in a store that has full service I, th- I think the research was done at the CRC, and they have a 50-page article on Starbucks specifically because of the tariffs that they sell there. It may be different when they're dealing with uh, Dunkin' Donuts, perhaps, um, since at that point they're just washing out the coffee machines there in the sink, and they're not putting it in any dishwasher, and there's no sort of uh, compartments and shared space that they're dealing with. So you would see many people that are going to Dunkin' Donuts um, just to buy, let's say, unflavored coffee, even though the Dunkin' Donuts store is not on the Ashkacha. That's very common in rest stops, especially now in the summer where people travel and they're always in the need of a hot coffee. You will find many people uh, doing that in Dunkin' Donuts as opposed to... Robert Wickler, Robert Wickler, the question of using coffee shops goes back hundreds of years. The Noid de Behuda, you know, this idea, the Noid de Behuda, and he referred to it as a coffee hoisin, and it had Chuvas written as to when a person, as Rabbi uh, Leibowitz has expressed, when a person is traveling, whether or not under those circumstances it's appropriate to accept something, that, um, that there may be the circumstance that it's kosher be the effort. Uh, the truth is, is that there are shylists, and there are many shylists relevant to the Starbucks and to those coffee, coffee shops. Each person, I say the Chorab, should ask. The, the important, one of the most important parts of all nuances of kosherists is is that a person needs to have a rub to ask that Shiloh to. And will there be, uh, it's a beautiful, as Rebbe Leewood said, it's a beautiful article written by the CRC relevant to Starbucks in particular, but the idea of using and, and using coffee um, on your airplane, using coffee from a regular shop, so they're modern-day chuvas from Ravadi Yosef, and they're old chuvas all the way back to the night of Yehuda. So in, in, in every aspect of halacha, a person has to have a rub and be able to ask him and tell him, okay, this is appropriate and this is not appropriate. Yeah, by the way, you're like a one-man. Right. Okay, man we have another ever. caller. Go ahead. You're unconscious oh. on the air. Go oh, ahead. Sure, you're on the air. Yeah, I wanted to know. I went to 7-Eleven recently. They have a newer machine where it's let's say 100 different flavors, and if you're picking Dr. Pepper, so they have cherry Dr. Pepper that with oh. vanilla. Um, how do I know what flavors are kosher and what are not? So many 7-Elevens, especially in Brooklyn, have signs up indicating which flavors are certified under different certifications and which aren't. Obviously, if it's a new flavor that perhaps didn't make it to the list, it will be a good idea to call uh, the kosher agencies that you're familiar with and see maybe they have some information about which new flavors um, you know, recently became certified. And perhaps that's not a flavor which is even certified. You know, 7-Eleven has the ability to have flavors which are certified and has many flavors which are not certified. Um, going back to the coffee uh, question, if a consumer wants to know, again, you can go to the halacha.com 
at volume four and those 20 pages on the halachas of coffee, uh, starting from the beginning of Arachayim straight through Yeridea, how coffee affects our daily life. So you can read that article as well um, on the halacha.com website. Okay, the halacha.com. Very good. Uh, the, the, about the question of this uh, young man, about this, is, is, I understand for him it's a big machine that's basically one handle and you choose your, your own test. And I would say that it's no question that not use this, you know. It could be it's also shared too. It, exactly, it's shared you. Yeah. It's shared you. And shared more, more research has to be done on exactly. this. Exactly, so I understand this why we are, we are no, repeating we ourselves the, the, so many times. You open, I'll tell you, sorry, Dolly, you open a little bit opening to the people that going to the to the to It's more of a limit, Obviously, it's a very good idea to make sure to only have an ashkacha on the Slurpees in the 7-Eleven, but Mutav Yishayim al Yemezidim. I mean, you'll see. But we are four years we're trying, we're four we're, years, we're, we're trying to study this. We're working on this for, for a long time. And, we, and we, we're recommending to the people to avoid it for two reasons. One is the kashrus issue, and one was what Rabbi, uh, we, had, we had a few weeks ago from the, the, the Vatakashrus of uh, Rabbi Goldmayer Goldberg from the Vatakashrus of, of Flatbush. He said, what about the Kedusha aspect? And Rabbi Santa brought it up tonight also. What do you need it for? Why do, that's sort of where I, our people should be thinking that way, and, and that's what we're trying to. I think if you go to the five towns, there is a store there that recently opened that has some sort of 11. Um, yes, um, and I'm looking off. into that. And if that happens in, in Brooklyn, that would be a big deal. He's opening Robin. several stores, and I'm going to follow that up. But I, I don't, I haven't got a chance to speak right, to the, the, seasons, the, then, seasons and se- the, seasons, that will be an alternative yeah. to the current program right. we have now. That people won't need to go to the 7 Eleven. That will be a fantastic thing. And he's a from man who. Yes, I know him personally. So that's, that's definitely where I'm planning to go. Okay, I thank everybody for, for listening to us. And Rabbi Santa, thank you for joining us for the first time. It's only the first time. I'll have you back again, okay? And I'm looking forward to it. It's a pleasure. And, and Rabbi Leibowitz, as always, we appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, I appreciate inviting me. And as always, it was a great pleasure. Have a great week, everybody. We'll speak to you again next week, Monday at 6 o'clock. Thank you very much.